Hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, reviewing a 3-1 defeat to Watford at Carrow Road. Paddy, one word to sum up that afternoon? <laughs> I've changed my mind now, you said to us pick a word before and DF, <laughs> and the word I was thinking of doesn't sum it up. Uh, booing. Booing. We can explain in due course if you wasn't at the game. But did you? Oh, can you speak dejection for me? There we go. <laughs> That's how bad it's been. Yeah, yeah, disconsolate. But I think the one word is boo. That is unfortunately where things ended up today. And as much as we all came into this game knowing how important it was, I don't think any of us really thought that Carroll Road would turn quite as moody, quite as dark, quite as frustrated as it did. And I think we can all appreciate uh, that in a great deal. But um, yes, this is the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We also come to you in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. I am Dave Freezer alongside Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell. As ever, to review the weekend action and... We'll try to put a bit of dark humour, I guess, into it all. Um, there's, there's, there's no point just being totally doom and gloom, but it is difficult to avoid it because that game quite literally ended with Daniel Farker veering away from the snake pit and the Barkley because the boos were clearly aimed at him. And a lot of this situation, unfortunately, is being laid at Daniel's door. And five consecutive defeats is the worst start to a season that Norwich have ever had. Daniel Farker, I saw a, a stat on the BBC uh, before the game saying that he becomes the first manager to ever lose 15 top-flight games in a row because Sunderland's record of 20 was longer, but it was with different managers. So Daniel has got that on his uh, CV of 15 consecutive Premier League defeats, obviously with a championship title triumph in between um, some of those matches. Um, it's also the 30th top-flight game where Norwich have gone behind that they have lost. These are not good statistics, are they, Paddy? For all the all the optimism and hope about the transfer work and, and the lessons that have been learned, we all knew that this was going to be a very difficult start to the season, but those frustrations that have been pent up and have just boiled over today, and I guess we we now have to wait and see whether this brings a, a fresh start and whether the, the fans are willing to just... Let them get back to the drawing board and, and, and try and find a way back into this Premier League or, or a way to kickstart this Premier League season or whether this is the the start of, an uh, unfortunately, a, a very unhappy goodbye, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with any of that, DF. I mean, it's it's more of the same from, yes, OK, either side of that has been the most glorious and, and maybe to, to try and balance out some of those bleak statistics are record-breaking in terms of points, totals championship title win in between but what we've seen in these first five games now um, is what we saw towards the back end of the previous Premier League season under Farker and that is really a bit of a shambolic so far off what is required in every aspect to be competitive you're not even talking beyond putting enough points on the board to, to finish above three other teams it's just can they be competitive and uh Maybe that's a touch harsh, but you know we're fresh off the back of a three-one defeat, um, which again was more of the same. You know, I look at the, you can obviously put Man City and Liverpool out of the equation. Really, for me, it's the last three games: Leicester, Arsenal, and now Watford, and very similar in regards of positives, moments, passages of play. But ultimately, too many basic individual errors, and then a collective malaise as well, and and. You know, if that doesn't change, then, uh, then the head coach will will not be in charge because there's no way off the back of that outlay, which for Norwich was quite a considerable attempt at having a go. I don't think anybody would have disputed that when the when the guns fell silent on you know the transfer window that Norwich had had a go. They're not having a go on the pitch, at least not to the degree where they can get the better of a team like Watford, who came up with them out of the championship and. Yes, they have one or two very, very good players. Ismail Star has, has done for them again today with a second-half brace. But pound for pound, should they be coming to Carrow and winning 
No. So so you have to question Farker, his methods, tactics, personnel, the way he's setting that team up. You also have to question those players. Some of the defending or lack of for those goals today were was well, it's embarrassing really. So in that context, quite quite within their rights, those fans who remained, and it's worth making that point that, that there was a lot, a lot of empty seats in all four corners of yeah. that ground. And that is, as we discussed on the walk back up to, to HQ to record this, I don't recall seeing that phenomena in, in Farker's time here, even in that very desperately poor debut season that finished below Ipswich in the Championship. You didn't see swathes of empty seats before the end of the game. So you know that, for me, is probably the most telling signal that maybe those home fans who he asked to rally behind the cause on Friday in that impassioned monologue they are now clearly beginning to lose faith in him and lose faith in this team and uh, that isn't going to end up in a very healthy place. So, you know, it, it's looking pretty dark and you just hope, without wanting to lapse into cliches, that the, the dark, what's that saying, the darkest period is just before the dawn. So mm. let's hope the dawn is on the horizon because, um, you know, it's acceptable. That first four games, you can package that as well where you're playing the six-time European Cup winners, you're playing the current Premier League champions, you're playing the FA Cup winners and you're playing an Arsenal team, which, OK, points-wise, started pretty ropely, but have enough quality to certainly be nowhere near the bottom end of the table. That's all well and good, but I'm not having it spun that Watford come here and win 3-1 and uh, we should accept that. That is unacceptable. So, you know, some testing times ahead for Daniel Farker particularly and um, you just hope for his sake, because he, you know... We deal with him on a professional basis and uh, probably I'd put him on, on the pedestal as the best manager I've dealt with in terms of the interpersonal relationship, but that's not going to save him. You know, If he can't get a winning team on the pitch, he'll be out the door. Because Stuart Webber, you can be sure, is not going to accept that level of performance and that level of productivity in terms of results. Five games in the league, no goal, uh, sorry, no wins and no draws even. They're not even eking out a draw or two. So, you know, Daniel Farker his feet are against the fire and uh, he needs to you know, pull them away swiftly and uh, get his team on the pitch picking up points because if he doesn't I fear, I fear for him Yeah, it, it's unavoidable that is how football works there is absolutely no doubt that there is a huge huge amount of affection for Daniel Farker and that I, I would imagine the vast majority of people listening to this will still be clinging on to hope and, and fingers crossed that Daniel can turn it around and find a way to to get back to you know the attractive style of play and and, and back on an upward trajectory because he, I think he is the man that uh, the vast majority want to be leading this club forward to the next stage of the development and, and avoiding the yo-yo and survival and, and playing Farker ball and all that sort of stuff which is what they're trying to do and once again him him being this sort of perfectionist and very much being in pursuit of plan A you know which is seems to be 4-3-3 this year or maybe a 4-3-2-1 whatever you want to describe it as subtly that is the way he's gone after it. he hasn't set up to work their way into the season by parking the bus and or relatively and playing a three at the back or, or whatever those side of things he's stuck with kind of his plan a throughout and it hasn't paid off for him so far and if if they get through to eight nine ten games and they haven't got a win it's very difficult to to stack up the reasons for him to remain in place because we were joking about it on the way up as you say on the on the walk up weren't we that Cisco Munoz if he loses five games in a row this season he probably gets sacked because well, that's the club that Watford are they're quite happy for a bounce aren't they whereas Norwich have set themselves up they've set their stall up that they've just given Farker a four-year contract they want that continuity they want him to be the man that leads this club forward because he's got that persona and that personality and he's had such success in in the championship but this the club cannot just abjectly roll towards relegation and and show blind faith to someone if if the results are not coming and unfortunately there there hasn't been enough even with all the context that we put it in and I, it isn't about Connor I don't think just this game in isolation is it it's not just this performance because that could easily have been a two two instead they may have even drawn uh, a three three if they if things had fallen for them here and there but. For the uh, PA to read out, there's four minutes of added time and it literally be greeted by nothing, not any kind of encouraging roar or cheer or or just any kind of emotion. That doesn't feel like Carrow Road to me. And I guess we're probably, I think you pointed out on the way up, didn't you, that when we were walking up to HQ, that 
that's probably a knock-on effect from the behind-closed-doors football. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's a, a lack of belief, to be honest, and, and, and a justified lack of belief because... You know, let's let's be frank. The last time Norwich fans were in Carrow Road, they were losing football matches, with the exception, obviously, the last one against Leicester. They've come back and they're losing football matches. And if you're um, someone who's who's paying money, you might argue well, what's what's developed, what's changed in that season, irrespective of, of obviously a, a title-winning campaign. And I was kind of thinking to myself there when Pab was speaking, if uh, if the dawn is Everton and Burnley, then um, oh. then uh, yeah, might be a slightly darker night yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's my fear and. You know, I, I think in, in the opening five games, in, in the opening ten games of a season, particularly from a Norwich City perspective, you just want to see a little bit of evidence that this time's going to be different, that the narrative's going to change. And you hear all these people who come on national radio and I don't want to say they're a laughing stock, but immediately people write them off. Oh, Norwich are going down. Yeah. Simple as that. And, and you, you get fans who are um, really arguing against that. Here are the reasons, X, Y, and Z. And... Um, and it just doesn't seem that they're capable of breaking the, of breaking that narrative of of showing people why they're capable of 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 staying in the Premier League. And I think what makes this defeat so shocking, really, is the fact that they're playing a team that was that, that have come up with them, and um, they were comprehensively beaten in, in the end. And we talk about those periods in games. It was similar with Arsenal. It was similar with Leicester. They're well in the game. It looks like um, they're on course to at least get a point. If you if you can't win the game, don't lose it. Um, and and they they can't do that, and that's that's the difference between teams that stay in the Premier League and teams that don't. Ultimately, is is that they they manage to to get points out of situations where um, they seemingly can't. And yeah, I, and and that that really is is it. It's um it's the sinking feeling that we've been here before. We've seen it before, um, and that it it doesn't. We've yet to see any real evidence that it's it's going to change in in terms of what we've seen from two years ago. Um, from the season under Alex Neal, from even going back before that, it's um, it's Norwich City and, and, and the Premier League, and it feels like that that is a, a narrative and a relationship that, irrespective of what they do or what they try or who's in charge, at the moment they seem incapable of breaking. And until they do that, I, I think this lack of belief that is that is in the crowd will continue because, um, as I said, there's nothing to suggest that that this time's going to be any different to the times we've seen before, and that is the really disappointing bit because as uh, we sat here a few weeks ago talking about a transfer window where they brought in seemingly re- real talent um, and it looked like they've got the depth and the quality to, uh, as Paddy said, at least compete at this level. And, and at the moment, they are doing that in, in periods within games. I thought there were, there were elements of today's performance that were pretty good in parts, but equally, we, we can't sit here talking about bits of performances, bits of moments little and, and, and clinging on to those moments because... It's not. It's not going to keep them in the Premier League. They need to be consistent performances. They need to be um, results, and they need to be points. And at the moment, they're they're probably struggling to get any of those three things. Just before we get stuck into the game as well, Pad, we obviously had this uh, sort of fifteen-minute monologue from Daniel Farker on Friday at the pre-match press conference, didn't we? which which has created a lot of waves. It surprised people and. <clears throat> I don't think some people took too kindly to to the tone of it in terms of the the fans. Um, Daniel sort of set himself up on a bit of a pedestal, almost a little bit, didn't he? And and, and set himself up for a fall, perhaps, in the, the way that he was. I don't know. I was surprised how he was having a having a go at people moaning about team selection and things like that. Which you know that's football. People debate team selections. That is what people do in the pub when that game finishes. People are saying, "Well, he should play." Three four three. He should play sergeant through the middle. He should play four two three one. That's what football is all about. But he really went pretty strong in it, didn't he? And, and to then lose the game on the, on the back of that surprise sort of rant, I don't think has left him in in the best of light. With just judging by the reaction of today and stuff, but people didn't take kindly to it. No, clearly not. And, and he said it, he put put it to him after the game there post match, and he said it, it was designed to fire up. I think was his actual words: fire up the supporters. And he. But he felt they did. They did until obviously it goes three-one, and then you know the oxygen gets sucked out of the everything inside the stadium. But he felt more or less that what he was aiming to achieve, he he did achieve. That the fans were up and bouncing and and driving the players on. But ultimately, my take on it was that he was more or less suggesting there's an element of the fan base who aren't quite on board with what they're trying to achieve and and believing in the the Norwich way and how they want to go about it. Um, and then maybe sort of directing criticism 
unfounded in his opinion towards X, Y, and Z player, and he went through the the individuals he felt you know needed defending. But ultimately, what this boils down to is, if you ask the fans to play their part, then you have to play your part. And him and his players have not have not done that today. They haven't held up their end of the bargain. So those fans are now well within their rights to uh, you know vent their frustration and displeasure because. If you're asking, if you're a fan and you're being asked to support your team and do everything in your power, and you're 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 doing that, or you turn up and do that, you want the very minimum from from the manager, the head coach, and those players, and you know to see the same mistakes again, both in terms of what Fark is doing, what those players are not doing um, week on week. You know, when does it change? Which is justifiable if you're a Norwich fan and you're being asked to row in behind and and stick to the path and believe in what Fark is trying to do. Give them something to believe in. You know, give them some evidence, tangible evidence, not in 15-minute clumps of games or, you know, sections of games. You know, give them actual, tangible, irrefutable evidence that they can go out and set their team up in a way and then they have the enough quality in the ranks to go and get a positive result and uh, until they start delivering some results um, then talk is cheap and really I think he needs to probably uh, not go down that path again in the next couple of games for sure um, because it's ultimately if you're a Norwich fan leaving the ground today you don't want to hear any more from your head coach what you want now is action and by that I mean the performance that is good enough to get a result. Yeah, it split people, I think. Some people enjoyed the passion and, and we've seen it plenty of times before from Daniel, haven't we? These sort of long monologues where he, he goes around the houses and but he's got a point buried in the middle of it all. And some people didn't like it at all. So we shall see. That's probably reflective of where people are with Daniel. But let's let's pick over the bones of the game and then I want to move on to... The, we've got the Liverpool game in the Cup on Tuesday night and then, of course, Everton uh, next Saturday at Goodison Park the team, when the team drops, Connor, considering what we were just talking about there, um, and I should probably just add that I was a bit concerned to hear Farker getting so wound up about team selection stuff. And I, and I, was, I don't really know where that's got back to Farker or how it's getting in the camp. You know, if players are on their phones before the games and looking at what people on Twitter are saying about Daniel's starting eleven, then that that is something that shouldn't be happening. That isn't ignoring the noise, is it? Anyway, let's go through the game um when this starting 11 was announced it was pretty resounding positivity wasn't it a uh, five changes um Kabak comes in to central defense in place of Omabamadeli Norman and Gilmore come into midfield in place of uh, Lise Malou and Rupp and then Kieran Dowell and Jollis drop out Dowell not in the squad at all Jollis on the bench and it is Josh Sargent starting on the right and Milot Rashitsa starting on the left and yeah, I think people were happy enough with that, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, we, we sat at the Emirates last Saturday and we were listening to Daniel Farker talk about how um, how excited he was to get a full training week with his players and how that would give him an opportunity to assess the squad. It would give Norman and, and, and Kabak an opportunity to, to really sort of integrate themselves into the group. I think there was probably an element of them two probably rocking up at the Emirates not knowing everyone's name. I think that's probably fair enough after after sort of arriving back from international duty and then being kind of thrust into a, a Premier League game. So I think you could you could see his logic there in terms of um, of leaving those two out. So I think if, if yeah, if you were a Norwich City fan turning up today and looking at the team selection, I don't think you'd have had any grumbles. And like you say, I, I think it, it does become an issue when that kind of feedback is getting into the camp. And it's not necessarily the fact it's getting in, it's the effect it has on, on certain individuals. And it's not necessarily... Look, Lucas Rupp is, is a vastly experienced player. He's, what, in his 30s, he's played 150 games in the Bundesliga. Like I, I think he's he's probably big enough to, to take what is thrown at him. Likewise, team of Buki... Um, Obviously, I think it's it's maybe different with, with some of the younger lads, but that yeah, that that has to be a concern. I think the fact that we hear so much from them about ignoring the noise, and and that clearly hasn't been the case over the last week or so for for, for whatever reason. So, um, yeah, team selection was fine. I, I think maybe a few grumbles are, are around shape as there is. I mean, the big thing for me is you look at how Norwich City won the championship last season and how they attacked it and. They've kind of lost two integral parts of uh, of what they did in Buendia and Skip. They've tried now, um, after getting promotion, to to try and, and, and do something radically different to what they were doing, both in terms of shape and in terms of approach. Um, and 
I think that's really interesting. Um, I'm not quite sure we've 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 seen the evidence yet that this shape is going to translate into results. I think it it definitely makes them more competitive for large portions, but it's it's not doing enough to to re well it's not translating into into particularly um consistent performances over a 90 minute spell and it's not it's not translating into points either so that's that's a little bit of a concern it's the wide element for me that i don't quite and get like if you looked at today watford's fullbacks and wingers were both yeah. right wide on the touchline and just bypassing mclean and gilmore completely so this four three two one whatever you want to call it or four three three they were just going around it yeah, well, that and, and, and equally, there's some real issues with, with when they press. There was an incident in the first half where essentially five players went to go and, and, and press Watford in possession. Ends up with Danny Rose and there's just a ball that essentially splits right through the heart of them mm. and Ishmael Asar runs onto because you've got five players who have gone and five players who have kind of stayed. And if you're going to press, you have to be all in with it. You have to go as a collective and, and really condense the space. Otherwise, you, you leave gaps open and... That's a real issue, and there were some signs that uh, certainly uh, for portions of the Arsenal game. And again, we're talking about portions that that had kind of looked like it had been addressed to an extent, um, and it was more an issue of knowing when to go and when not to go. Whereas today, we were back to Leicester realms where it looked completely disjointed, and that is is probably it at the moment. You've got a defence that is conceding goals, a midfield that looks disjointed, and an attack that doesn't look like it's going to score. Mm. And um, you know they're they're pretty fatal problems for any team at any level, um, let alone the Premier League. And when you throw in individual mistakes and um, the type of defending we saw for both the first and and the second goal, it's um, it's not pretty. And if if it continues in that vein, then we're going to be in for a very tough season again. I'm afraid. Yeah, well, let's let's break that down further, Paddock, because Farker has sort of suggested, doesn't he, that maybe people are too obsessed with base formations, as he likes to call them, which emphasises the fact that formations are not rigid. But I don't know, when you look at particularly, I think, was it the third goal? Yeah, the one with the McLean sort of shank in the build-up. There's there's not really a back four there, and if I you know if you if I'm Graeme Souness on Monday Night Football or whatever, I'm like, where's your back four? Where's your where is that line that is holding firm against that? They're they're all over the place. There's gaps in between them. Um, but anyway, let's start with the first goal. And Ozan um, Kabak did some very good things in that first half, didn't he? I think we saw particularly in the first half flashes of class from Norman and Kabak. But that goal did not reflect well. I mean, he's, that probably reminded us that he's only 21. And that was his first club game, competitive game, since April as well, to take Daniel's point about why he didn't rush him in against Arsenal. So I, I, I would excuse him that. I mean, there was some there was some serious uh, errors. that the, the ball was allowed to come in as easily as it did from the left-hand side. If you look at it again, not sure what McLean, Gilmore and uh, Williams between them were doing, but they were far too easily played around to allow them to fizz that ball in. And Rashid, then he, I think, was it rather than Gilmore, yeah. Yeah, OK. Yeah. But Aaron, I mean, Aaron's, he's just let Dennis go and he's come mm, on the blind yeah. side of, and the ball's gone over Hanley. So it's a catalogue of defensive errors, which if you stitch them together, makes for a very poor concession. And um, But on Kabak, after that, prior to half-time, there was a goal-saving block, I would suggest, on Josh mm. King. Uh, I'd have to see it back again, but in real time, it felt like that was you know that was a, a very timely intervention, and uh, and I like the way the, the ambition he showed to bring the ball out and the composure. There was more than one or two occasions where we saw that. So over the entire entire piece, I I was very encouraged by him. But whether him alone is going to be able to plug this uh, defence, I'm not sure. But um, I think you could see with enough game time and enough miles on the clock that. He is an upgrade on probably what they've got in that central defensive area. So that, for me, um, if you want to cling to a positive or two, I think over the next period is hopefully going to you know translate into a far more robust defensive effort. But it's going to take far more than that. And and Norman, to an extent, if you want to just sort of touch on him, I mean, again, Farker highlighted that you know he let uh, I think it was Josh King run off the back of him for Sars' first goal to make it two one. Um, but then he also caveated it in terms of, I think there wasn't a lot of fuel left in the tank and, and he got substituted anyway, which looked like a pre-planned move for Campbell, I think it was, a few minutes after. Um, but if you take that out, of course, he put the assist through for Timu for, for the Norwich equaliser and, and I thought there were signs in that very fertile spell after half-time where you could see, you know, that he could put a few fires out and, and his sort of defensive instincts were very sharp. And again, a bit like Kabak, I'd file it as, uh, yep, one or two issues that um, unfortunately were... were, were 
led to the goals, directly or indirectly. But overall, I think he'll be an upgrade on what they haven't had in that area of the pitch since Skip left. So, mm. you know, we can but hope that those two now train on from encouraging, if, you know, not quite the, the, the wow debuts we were hoping for. But, but still, I think they will prove, hopefully, that they, they were decent additions in the final stages of the window. I think that was a much better performance than Gilmore had managed as a defensive midfielder. I thought he looked positioning wise much more like a Tete yeah. or a Skip. Like he was, you know, putting out the odd fire here and there. But yeah, maybe maybe he could have done better for for that second goal before he's taken off. But you look at I mean, they were basically scrambling after a, a Williams chance, weren't they, from a corner where he'd uh, met I think on the volley. I think Gilmore put the corner in, and then they were scrambling back, weren't they? And, and it's really McLean that should be providing that protection for Williams on the left and you watch where he is and he's bottom right of the screen as Watford are about to score so they weren't I mean Kenny probably had one of his poorest games for Norwich in a while given how consistent he's been for for quite a long time for for Norwich but there was the positive of the goal Tamer Pukki finally scoring from open play in the Premier League for the first time since December 2019 at Leicester I think I'm right in saying before he broke his toe <laughs> he scored what three penalties since then hasn't he and his 69th goal for the club, which moves him level ninth in the all-time list. He's now only a, a goal short of John Dee and I think, what did I say earlier, nine goals short of Grant Holt. So, yeah. you know, he's he's moving his way out. And it was a lovely finish as well, wasn't it, from a very nice pass from Norman. Yeah, vintage Pookie on the shoulder, ball in behind, clever movement. Um, uh, and he executes it perfectly, really. Um, the, the issue hasn't necessarily been him in front of goal the issue has been working opportunities for him in front of goal and and, and this was one of the few that we've seen and, and actually I felt that compared to last week where he was very isolated um, he had probably the I think the fewest touches of, of any starting Norwich City player today was much improved on that front in terms of connecting him I felt Sargent's inclusion was useful in that those two linked up pretty well at, at parts and you could see what they were trying to do in terms of Sargent um, on rows and trying to utilise the height advantage there. He was a, a bit of a blunt instrument at times, but um, quite mm. quite effective with how he how he used it. I mean, he doesn't particularly give me the impression. It reminds me a bit of Cameron Jerome, to be completely honest. Um, <laughs> the ginger Jerome. Yeah, he just never. It doesn't really look like he's he's a, a natural goal scorer, but does a lot of stuff out of the box very well. Um, physically, is is quite imposing. He's a real handful, I, I think. Mm. Um, he was like a wide forward more than a winger. Yeah, wasn't yeah, he? he was. He was and. For for bits of the game, looked really bright and looked really on it. Um, he's a willing runner. He presses well, um, and I think the fact they got him a little bit closer to Puki helped Timu a little bit more because um, when you think back to that first championship season and, and the way Marco Steepman essentially um, eased the physical burden on him and, and ensured that defenders had a little bit of physicality to deal with, and that opened up spaces for Timu. I think this was kind of a similar idea, and particularly sort of back end of the first half caused real problems for for Cathcart uh, in particular I think in in the back line but um yeah there thereafter I think Watford became a bit wiser to it and uh, and probably snuffed it out a little bit easier but the goal is I think what everyone wanted to see in terms of Timu um we we speak so much about the system and maybe again we we speak about it being a little bit disjointed they are that well they were today um essentially playing a winger on on either flank and then you you well sergeant not so much as as we kind of touched upon but certainly one winger and you're working the ball into crossing positions and then you've got someone who's he's not the tallest and not particularly uh, what he scored one header for Norwich I think of the top of my head against Stoke um, unless yeah. memory serves so <laughs> you're essentially working the one with his heart at QPR he did yeah he did <laughs> so you're, you're essentially looking to cross the ball for someone who doesn't really head it um, so that that just feels disjointed again if you can carve out these sort of opportunities for Timu Puki, there is no doubt around him and I don't think it's, it's people doubting Timu Puki the player I think it's, it's people doubting Timu Puki's place in this Norwich City system because if they persist with this 4-3-3, it's difficult to see him doing what he did today, essentially. Um, but I felt it was, it was a step in the right direction, largely because of, of Sargent's inclusion and, and the finish was, was vintage, really. And like I say, no one can, can kind of doubt his stati- sort of statistics in a, in a yellow and green shirt because they're, they're tremendous. Um, it's just his place in this system uh, and that's what needs to get solved amongst a host of other things. But if if we're talking about a three at the back and looking ahead, if, you, if you're looking to play Sargent and Pukki as a pair, it, uh, as part of maybe a 3-5-2, I, I think that today on, on today's evidence there would be a lot of promise in that. 
Yeah, it's about keeping things respectful in terms of Pookie, isn't it? Because he's going to—he is a legend of the club already, a walking legend—and he's going to go down. Well, he's always going to be remembered as as one of the great strikers that the club ever had, as Daniel sort of mapped out. So, yeah, I think. But uh, I've not really seen a great deal like like you framed there. I haven't really seen a great deal of sort of people slagging off Pookie or anything. Um, it, it, yeah, it's more been questioning whether he's the right man for the job. And, you know, there were boos when Sargent was taken off, but the particularly from the sort of snake pit, were not happy to see him being taken off because they, I think just the amount of effort and, and grind that he'd put in had shown that that was really what they what they needed. And he was providing a, a bit of a focal point. He was trying to find Pookie and they were linking up a little bit here and there. So, yeah, he, he's clearly becoming a little bit of a fan favourite already. Um, but he did come into the game with a uh, sort of hamstring niggle, didn't he? So I guess that was, again, like you said with Norma, perhaps a bit pre-planned. So we've already sort of teed up the, the second goal when Watford reclaimed the lead, 63rd minute. Uh, Ishmael Asar is the one that gets across Grant Hanley at the near post after a really good movement from Josh King, to be fair, to, to go out wide and create that space and confuse Norwich's defence, really. That's 2-1 in the 63rd minute. Uh, the substitutes came in the 70th minute. Camwell and Scholis coming on for Norman and Sargent. Uh, Milot Rashitsa had a really good opportunity at 2-1, uh, set up by good work from Scholis. A nice move, actually. Camwell and Aaron's in- involved in that one. And, uh, you know, obviously that could have completely changed things. Um, Rashitsa did really well, I think, to actually get that on target because it was a, you know, it was sort of turning on a sixpence and he managed to get decent pace on it, but it was a fairly comfortable save for, for Foster in the end. And then, the moment when it all turned, pad eighty first minute, and um, unfortunately, Kenny McLean just had a bit of a uh, a nightmare moment, really, didn't he? And they, they were just scrambling from that point. Yeah, and horrid slice tried to clear the ball's gone up, ballooned up, and then Watford have pounced on it. And even then, you know, they still had a little bit to do. But this is the Premier League, you know. Cleverly, I think, picked the ball up, perfectly timed pass. There was a VAR check for the ball through King, I think, off the top of my head. Um, VAR rightly overturned. I think the assistant had put his flag up when the ball went in, mm. but Kabak's trailing leg was clearly behind King. Um, I think Krull makes the save, doesn't he? And then Saar, um, what a player he is. You know, He's on hand, quickest to react. Just that sharpness, that clinical edge, that that quality that you want to see from Norwich. You know, When Norwich get openings, are they punishing teams? No, is the answer. Not sufficiently uh, to get a result, that's for sure. So, the boots on the other foot, they have to learn. They have to learn. I mean, okay, the actual McLean slice, that can happen. That's just an unfortunate, um, you know, thing that would that could happen to any player at any given moment. But thereafter, you know, there's still work to do from Watford, but it's just just the sharpness of thought, the sharpness of deed and the execution. And, um, you know, if Norwich aren't able to muster that type of quality at the top end, we've just talked there at length about... Pookie and Sargent and Rashitsa, but you still don't feel they possess the the real sharp potency that they need to find on a regular basis to trouble teams at this level. And um, that is the Premier League, that a team who came up with them, Watford, they possess it. And if Watford possess it, then pretty much every other team in the Premier League are possessing it as well. You know, Brentford have won again today at Wolves, I believe. Um, you know, the warning signs should be should be loud and clear in the Norwich camp this evening because uh, you know it, it, there's nothing really they're giving fans or anybody connected to that club to convince you this is any different than two seasons ago and two seasons ago to repeat what I said right at the outset of the broadcast they were well they were embarrassingly poor and so far adrift what was required and that was the, the it'll take a miracle Farker said it again on Friday we don't need a miracle this time which it suggests that they're up closer to what's required, but we're not seeing enough evidence of that to believe that to be the case. So there's some tough, tough days and some tough weeks ahead, I think. Um, but ultimately, yeah, sourced in Kenny McLean's error, but ultimately punished by real Premier League quality from his Ismail Asar. And unfortunately for Tim Krull, because he had made a good save, and then Sar follows it up, but... VAR gets it correct. Kabak's foot just is playing King on, isn't it? And we've got, uh, as media in the press box, we've found ourselves in quite a strange position now, haven't we? That when the crowd are waiting for VAR, people start turning around looking 
to our reactions because we see it first on the screens that are above us and we all saw as first replay we knew it was going to be given and we were like oh he's onside his foot he's playing him onside and you've got the people in front of us and people sort of craning their neck to see our reactions and you know I don't want to get to the position where we're actually like raising our hands and saying yes it's a goal or something but it almost feels like people are, are waiting to see the looks on our face but and then it very quickly spreads and people start saying oh it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be given and Oh, it's just a, a sort of horrible 30 seconds, isn't it? When you know that the whole ground is about to get bad news. Um, it's, it's quite surreal. But just to, just to finish the game and then we'll, we'll move it forward to, to Liverpool on Tuesday night. I think that the real chastening feel is that this is in comparison to Watford. And Daniel sort of teed that up last season, didn't he? In comparison with Bournemouth and Watford, that they both had stints in the Premier League and they have had money and they've got a heck of a lot of experience in their squads and things. But... You compare Norwich to Watford today and they, they've lost to one of the other newly promoted teams. They've lost 3-1 and you look at some of the quality. Well, if, if, I, if I take it back to the stats, they had 48% of possession against Watford, who are not renowned for being a team who shine in possession. Watford had eight shots on target at Carrow Road. Saar, King, Danny Rose, Musa Sissoko. These players looked good and they looked like Premier League players and Norwich looked short of that quality. I think that that's, as we sit here at the moment, what feels so chastening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I'd agree with all of that. And it's, as we say, it's the fact that gap is, is so big. And um, as we said throughout, the fact that at the moment there's very little evidence to suggest that Norwich City are going to reach a level where we're talking about their players being capable of, of producing the level that, that we've seen Watford do today. And to be honest, at times it felt like they had more gifts, uh, gears to shift through if they, if they needed to. This is a team that came into this game having lost their last three games without scoring. They've scored three. Yeah, that's that's the problem, isn't it? And and, and stop, what, Connor. I can't take when, it. Whenever <laughs> whenever you're you're in a position as as any side at any level, and you're conceding three goals at home, you're essentially asking yourself to score at least three goals to get a single point. You're you're in trouble. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Oh man, right, Liverpool, Tuesday night. (laughs) League Cup third round. The Bournemouth game was great fun, wasn't it? Um, and it was rejuvenating and it, it helped things and it helped get minutes into players. And they've sold it out against Liverpool, even though it's pro- probably unlikely that it's going to be a full-strength Liverpool team. There's going to be a few stars here and there, but given the injury problems they had last season, I can't see Klopp taking many chances. I don't think we'll be seeing Virgil van Dijk and Jordan Henderson and players like that. I wouldn't have thought. Maybe, maybe on the bench or something, because they'll want to get through, won't he? But... For Norwich, this represents an opportunity. So I'll, I'll come to you separately. Pat, if I, I'll come to you on the defence. Connor, I'll come to you uh, on the midfield. And, and then collectively, we'll, we'll sort of finish it off from there. We can start off with Angus Gunnwell starting goal. I think we can say that almost certainly. And Tim Krull didn't really do anything wrong today. I don't think I'd, his distribution was probably a little bit better than it was at Arsenal. He made a few good saves. So he's probably um, shelved any immediate concerns about Angus sort of pushing for his place. Unless Angus has a real... Uh, sort of blinder on Tuesday night, but uh, in, uh, I still see this now as rather than rather than making wholesale changes, I think it's the opportunity to just really prime the Premier League starting eleven and and not um, not make eleven changes and you know play Mumba at right back or um, whatever you know that sort of play Sorensen in defensive midfield or and, and Rupp and things like that. I think they now need to use this as a building block to make sure that they are on. Uh, on top of things for Everton on on Saturday, and I don't know, don't know from from what we know of Daniel. I I think he'd probably rather have a a full week on the training pitch. But yeah, Pat, if I come to you on the defence, who what would you be doing? Would you be? I don't think he's going to switch to a three at the back, is he? So if we presume he's going to play a four still, what what would your four be at the back? Well, to take your point, I was going to make that very same point. I, I, this is a league game without any points for me at stake because you know. It's about Everton, obviously, this coming week, but they need to go into that with a little bit more confidence from uh, about four who, who've leaked three very avoidable goals this afternoon. So 
I wouldn't make any changes. I'd I'd go if 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 I think Williams and Aaron's and Quebec and Hanley are my four to go to Goodison Park. Sorry, lads, you're going again on Tuesday night, and uh, I want to see a bit more than I saw this afternoon. Mm. Um, and if you're Grant Hanley, I'm sure you want a game to get that out of your system because you've made some errors, and Quebec needs more minutes. He'd love to play against Liverpool club he was on loan at last season. I'm sure that's a stage he'd want to be on. Um, and the two fullbacks, you know, they need they need to start building that understanding as a, as a four, as a unit. So, whether Farker sees it that way, <laughs> time will tell, you know. Um, but for me, it's an opportunity, really, to, to go again and um, basically say, look, I believe in you four at this stage in the season as my strongest back four. But what we saw today wasn't really acceptable in the key moments. Um, go out there... You take your point, Liverpool will change it up, but whoever they put in their attacking areas will still be decent. I mean, if it's Divock Origi, I mean, he's a very good mm. player. Champions played, League winner. Played, played very well the other night. Um, got a lot of praise from Jurgen Klopp, didn't he? Um, so, you know, if it was him, et al, and then that, that's still a sizable Premier League grade test for that back four. So, and and as I say, if they then, maybe the result still goes against them and they're out of the competition, but if they put in a decent performance as a defensive four, then you can build a little bit of confidence to go to Goodison on Saturday, which is really the, the biggest game of, of the week, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't personally want to see Obama Daly, Gibson, Yanulis and Barley Mumba, for example, because none of those four, I think, are going to be in the starting lineup come Saturday, two o'clock. Yeah, I think the thing that I would like to see would be a four-two-three-one, and I don't think I'll be alone in saying that. So, I, I think it, it would be acceptable to make a few changes, but yeah, I, I, I'm pretty much totally on board with how you've pitched it there. So, in that light, Connor, what would your what would your midfield be if I put you into uh, into the Farker Parker? I think I'd probably pick them out of a hat at the <laughs> minute. To be to be honest, um, yeah, yeah um. Uh, I think Norman will probably play again. Um, I think Lise Malou might come back in. I'm not quite sure who would occupy that final spot if he was going to stick with a 4-3-3, uh, to be honest. J- Jacob Sorensen wasn't in, in the matchday squad today. Um, he's probably the only midfielder we, we haven't really seen with the exception of Bournemouth. So he, he might feel there's there's a, an option there. Uh, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't particularly surprise me if Lucas Rupp came back in for this game. Um could see McLean playing so I think this is this is probably the difficult area of the pitch at the moment because I don't think there's really anyone who's nailed down their position uh, I think Norman's probably done enough to keep the shirt for Everton whether again Daniel will, will take a, a stance on his fitness or not given he was he was taken off early today but that's a man who's been playing for Norway and has played in the Russian Premier League um, already this season so yeah I think I'd edge towards a Norman Lace Malou and someone else probably McLean I think as those midfield three and then uh, am I doing out wide or do you want to do out, out wide as a collective are you including that in the attack I'll take it up from there then okay. I, I'd, I'd go Lise Malou and Norman to start with but I, I probably wouldn't give Norman 90 minutes you, mm. you know you'd say you've got an hour go and make sure we win that game and then we'll we'll get you off for the final 30 because um, you wouldn't want to be flogging anyone in those circumstances um, for me if I'm going with 4-2-3-1 I'm then Cantwell in, in the 10 um, probably Jollis on the right and I'd, I'd maybe bring Dow back in on, on the right um, I, unless there was no mention of an injury or anything was there after the game I don't think didn't so didn't put it to him to be honest no. No. but there's another presser on, on Monday yeah. isn't there so we'll find out um, and then I would be perfectly happy for, for Sargent to play up top for that one because we know what Pookie can do. I don't think we, I don't think we need to see that from Pookie. I, I'd say it's more an opportunity for for Sergeant Orida. That's one of the areas I'd be I'd be happy enough. What do you make? Yeah, no, I'd spot spot on, mate. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Maybe, maybe again with an eye on Goodison, is Dow will be desperate to play obviously against his old club, but is he going to edge out Rashika? I mean, it it could be a good. You mentioned him there. It could be a very good. Opportunity for Cantwell because you know we discussed this on the walk up yeah. as well that maybe because of the system he's found himself on the outside looking in and um, I guarantee when when he he came back for pre season training he didn't envisage that at this stage of the season he would be a bench warmer um, because that's kind of going back back to when he first broke into the team uh, sorry the match day squad and he was kind of used from the bench sparingly so if if you if you've got a guy who's who's not going to be lacking for motivation if he's in the starting lineup on on Tuesday then Todd Cantwell is it and if he performs at a, a level against that degree of opposition, even if they make a few changes, then does he put himself back in the frame for a start against Everton? Because, you know, 
Todd Cantwell, we've seen it, we saw it two seasons ago, that he can make things happen at this level in terms of goals and assists and they need desperately plenty of both, a lot more than they're producing at the minute. So, you know, of those attacking players you mentioned, I think it's it could be a big night for Cantwell, yeah. Yeah. Now, as you were mapping it out there, I think maybe I would stick with Rashid ahead of Dow, but I just want to see Cantwell in the ten. I want it to be a four-two-three-one, because otherwise, you, I have ended up making quite a few changes, um, and, and I do want to see them stick with the majority of the team that are going to go for it at Everton. Um, Connor, if you just want to get up on your phone, the, the match has finished while we've been recording, hasn't it? Um, Everton lost to Aston Villa. Was that, yeah, was that 3-0. right? Three 0 So that's. Um, uh, are they back yet from me, their Croatian island or yeah, whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, after their I'll whole tell you, Argentina fuss. Um, but I mean, that's a, that's a helpful. They're in the League Cup, aren't they, Everton? I'm pretty sure. So they, they'll have a League Cup time midweek. Yeah, so they they lost three 0 Bit of a bit of a well nine minute collapse really. Uh, Cash sixty six, Dinier own goal sixty nine, and then Bailey on on seventy five. So. Um, yeah, it's not ideal. It's not really ideal when Norwich are going to head to the good, head to to Goodison Park, and Rafa Benitez is is going to want to see a response, isn't he? So, again, Norwich probably find themselves um, under difficult circumstances, but equally, they've mm. got to show a response themselves. So, and it's a place that they won two years ago, if if that means anything at all. Just quickly have a look whether Godfrey was back and whether they've got that League Cup game, but. Pad, yeah, I mean, a Rafa Benitez team. They they have started the season pretty well, haven't they? And obviously, they've got some real, some real top quality. Mm. That is not going to be easy at all. What's Sorry, it? just yeah, yeah, just to to interject. Uh, doesn't look like Jordan Pickford was no, he didn't play. It was uh, Begovic in goal. Godfrey did return, but played right back. Um, looks like a few others missing as well. Cavett Lewin is, is obviously out for a few weeks, isn't he? Rondon um played up front. So yeah, they've got a few selection issues. Rondon, I didn't even know he was there. Yeah, they've got a, <laughs> a few selection issues um heading into heading into that Norwich game, but uh, how much it will it will affect what we see next Saturday is going to be interesting. Separately, while we were talking about Liverpool, is Jordan Shakiri still a Liverpool player? No, he's gone no, to Leon. Leon, it's not a bad move. Yeah. At least we haven't got to worry about him. But yes, Pad to bring the show to a close. Um, Everton, Burnley to follow that before the international break. The dawn. Nearly swore there when you mentioned. It's it's not going to get any easier, is it? No, no, no. I can, I can, I can just picture Sean Dyche now in his post-match, you know, or even his pre-match. Well, you, you do know. a good impression of Sean Dyche. Apparently so. Yeah, I just talk normally. I don't even try and do an impression, but uh, yeah, you can just, I can see it, hear it now, and my mind goes back to the that infamous Burnley Project restart game. I think it was Norwich's last game of the season, wasn't it? Where Dermic and Wendy both got got themselves sent off. Yeah, last home game, I think. Yeah, and he was. He was lit non-stop in the official's ear, appealing for everything. Uh, I'm not saying he put any undue pressure on. Uh, you can make your own mind up on that. But but in terms of, is there one venue in the Premier League if you desperately need a result, which might be the case if they don't get anything at Everton, you don't want to be going. It's Burnley, isn't it? Mm. And the style of play, cutting the image of their manager. Um, but those are the cards they've been dealt. So, um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, as, as we said at the start, yeah, maybe it's going to get darker before it gets lighter because um, because now off the back of that Everton result, that's a very unbenitez performance to to be a side who leaked three goals as they've done there at Villa Park. So that probably increases the degree of difficulty, which was tough enough already. Um, and then thereafter Burnley. So ultimately, what they'll need in both of those away games is to show far more backbone for me because they're going to be under the pump uh, spells that's the nature of it when you go on the road in the Premier League and you know certainly the Burnley game it'll be a physical challenge laid down so can they stand up to that and can they be far more resilient and resolute as individuals and a collective than we've seen thus far and certainly we saw in the second half against Watford and if they're not then we'll all pitch back up at Car Road the other side of the international break for Brighton and if they haven't got a point on the board then I think we all know that one's going to get packaged in the build-up. So, um, yeah, let's hope we're not facing a, another series of is this a must-win, must Daniel? Because it might be a must-win for that man's own future, I think. Oh, wow. I'm going to need a whiskey when I get home, I think. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're not here to sugarcoat things. We shouldn't try to sugarcoat things. We're trying to paint as an accurate picture as possible. And I feel like we... 
it was a dark day, unfortunately. If they'd have won today, equally, it, that's why it felt such a in such an important match because if they won today they had lift off and, and and all that belief would have surged through wouldn't it and everyone would have just forgotten about those opening four games we're like right here we go we're in the premier league we we won the championship last year let's go but after after the way things shaped up today it's just impossible to to be too positive about it and the only yeah, the only way is up, hopefully, because they they have got to go back to the drawing board now and find new new answers. Because if they just keep persisting with what they're trying to do and it keeps going wrong, then they're just leaving themselves open to to complete criticism, aren't they? So, um, as the mantra goes for them, they have got to ignore the noise now more than ever because this is going to be a serious serious test and. As I said earlier, I really do think the vast majority of Norwich City fans will hope that Daniel Farker finds a way through this and finds some points, finds some wins and finds a way to start playing Farker ball again with these new players, with these new personalities so that the club can find a foothold in the Premier League and and try and change the narrative because we're all going to get sick of it and if they do go back down to the Championship again, I just don't think there's going to be the same enthusiasm for it next time around because people are going to start to think, as some people were saying after they went down last time, what's the point? What's the point of chasing promotion if it's just going to lead to doom and gloom? And Unfortunately, that is where we are. But there is a long, long way to go. There will be, I, I'm sure there are we, people we listening. Can re- we can replay this in May when they've stayed up and we can all have a good laugh. <laughs> oh, I sincerely hope so because I, there will be glass half full people who are listening to this right now saying, come on, lads, there's only, it's only yeah. five games. Of course, of course, this was not a fatal blow, but it's very, very difficult to not be concerned about what's happening right now. So... We hope that that has framed things accurately. We hope that it has helped to get things off your chest a little bit wherever you are listening in the world. I'm sure that uh, you're not feeling particularly happy about what happened against Watford this weekend. But we can look forward to the Liverpool game. Slightly different vibe to that one. League Cup action. Hopefully they can get through to that and there can be that little bit of rejuvenating feel to help us all uh, have a little bit more bounce in our step heading up to Merseyside next weekend. Paddy, Connor, thank you very much for your thoughts. Thank you very much for listening. We will, of course, bring you all the latest ahead of that Liverpool game. We'll be at Carrow. Well, I won't be at Carrow, actually, will I? I'm taking... I always try and... Well, you will. Well, you will well I will. Yeah, well, that's yeah. true. That's very true. I'll be at Carrow, but I may have uh, a beer in my system, which is be different to a usual match day because I I try once or twice a season if if possible to go to a game with my dad and just enjoy it um, and as as a fan and you know have a couple of beers and that, that seemed like a perfect opportunity so I, I'm quite looking forward to that so sorry boys but that, <laughs> I hope things don't go uh, too badly for you up in the press box but um, we will leave it there thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you very soon <laughs>